Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Luke 21 And he spake to them a parable Behold the fig tree and all the trees When they now shoot forth you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand So likewise ye when you see these things come to pass know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh and at hand Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission. Thanks for joining me this morning. Today we are, well, we're doing a prophecy podcast, which we haven't done in quite some time, and it's just going to be a continuation of that The Last Generation series that we started in 2020. Uh, which by far has been the most listened to and most popular uh, of all the studies that I've done over the years, maybe with the exception of uh, when we did the complete study in the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be examining the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as it's called, and talking about that because as we look at the world and the things going on, you can't help but start to wonder if this is a foreshadow of these things. If this is the foundation building and the lead up to these very, very things because they mimic them in a very small way. Obviously, Jesus said that this, that the time of the tribulation, the time of the end would be worse than any time that there's ever been. Okay? which kind of nullifies the idea that we're currently in it or that the seals are currently open. I think what you're seeing is basically a glimpse on a small scale of what this will look like. You have governments all over the entire world demanding that you do things with your body 
if you want to be able to buy, if you want to be able to sell, if you want to be able to participate in commerce. You remember I did a podcast uh, in 2020 towards the beginning of all of this entitled Mask of the Beast. Because you had to have a mask on if you wanted to do anything. Same goes, you know, I talk about it in in my book. uh, The most recent one, Faith, Obedience, and the End of Time. So everything we're seeing is just really kind of leading in to that. And so I wanted to look uh, today at Revelation chapter 6. We're going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, Because there's some interesting things to note uh, and to pay attention to and to understand. Another thing that's important as we, if I continue to build on this last generation study, I want you to remember that when we look at the book of Revelation, number one, it's apocalyptic literature, meaning there's a lot of symbolism. However, the symbolism is not difficult as long as you know the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the Old Testament almost clarifies all of these things. All the symbolism, you can go back and find kind of a first mention or something similar. In fact, we're going to look at Ezekiel 14 this morning, uh, which is kind of like a similar judgment that you see with the four horsemen, except it was just directed at Jerusalem um, at that time. And so that's kind of what is on the agenda for this morning. I will remind you this podcast is 100% listener-supported. Uh, the support for the podcast has been uh, much down over the last couple of years and continues to decline. So if this is something that's important to you, please consider supporting it. Scriptureandprophecy.com All right, let's dig right in. I opened up with the parable of Luke, uh, 20, verses twenty or Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 36 that deal with the fig tree. And Jesus says, look, you should be able to tell... Uh, using basic common sense that the time is upon you, right? I mean, it's as simple as you you see the tree starting to bud, you know that summer is around the corner. Likewise, when you see these things coming to pass, you should know that the kingdom of God is nigh and at hand. The other thing that I want you to understand about prophecy is, um, is it usually has a now fulfillment and a further fulfillment and you see it with just about everything uh, where prophecy is concerned you see a, a lot of it with like the messianic prophecies they had like a kind of a now meaning for the audience at that time but then you see Jesus fulfill all these things um, same way with end time prophecy there was a now fulfillment uh, a lot of it happened in 70 AD and then some of it happened with the Roman Empire and but we're waiting for the final fulfillment of those things. We look at what's going on. We know that these things are around the corner. People who scoff at the times we're living in right now and say, well, everybody thought that's absurd and ridiculous at this point. The whole world, every nation is caught up in this mess. The economic fallouts the medical fallouts, the the unrest, all of it. This is worldwide. This is not specific pockets. The whole world is being dealt with right now. And the whole world is being prepared to accept 
a coming king who is going to be a counterfeit to our Lord and Savior. Let's dig in. Let's start with Revelation 6, starting with verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of four beasts saying, Come and see. So if you remember in chapter 5, you know, no one's able to open up this the document. Nobody's able to, able who's nobody's nobody's worthy to open up the seals except for the Lamb. He's worthy, right? And so he's the one opening these things and unleashing these things on the earth. And in fact, we'll see at the end of chapter six, the people of the earth attribute all the things that are happening to the wrath of the Lamb. Okay. This is Jesus is coming back as judge and as king. The suffering servant thing is over. Now it's judge and king. He's the one doing this. He's the one pouring this out. Verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, obviously, the horses are just symbolic, right? There's not going to be literally somebody riding a horse doing this. It's symbolic for the judgments that's coming. The first one is a white horse. A crown was given and a bow was given, and he's going forth to conquer. Now, if you read all the old commentaries, like John Wesley and Matthew Henry and uh, F.B. Meyer and even the T.S. Keycross references, they all attribute... That the white horse is speaking about Jesus, and this is how the this is symbolizing the gospel going through, uh, going into the world, and really, that's I think that was a good near view. Uh, but when I look at it in light of today, I think it's speaking of the counterfeit Christ. It's the fake Messiah coming on the earth with the intent to conquer. And so like, for example, if you read uh, Matthew Henry, just real quick, he says the, uh, well, let me just actually, let me pull up John Wesley here. Here's what John Wesley says about the white horse. Just real quick. He says, and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow this collar and the bow shooting arrows afar off betoken victory, triumph, prosperity, and enlargement of the empire and dominion over many people. Um, he's referring to Jesus. If, if you look at Matthew Henry, he says, Christ, the lamb opens the first seal. He now enters upon the great work and opening accomplishments and purposes of God towards the church and the world. The, and he says this, the Lord Jesus appears to be Riding on a white horse, the white horses are generally refused in war because they make a rider a mark for the enemy. But our Lord, Redeemer, was sure of victory and a glorious triumph and rides on the white horse of pure but despised gospel with great swiftness through the world. And if you read further on through their commentary, uh, they think that the, the horsemen judgments are dealing with Rome. And like I said, I believe that was the probably the near fulfillment, right? But in our day, 
This is focused on the whole world, and even the language here shows that it's focused on the whole world. So I think this white horse and the crown being given is the counterfeit Christ who's going to come with a fake peace, right? What did the scriptures say? When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them, right? Like they think, ah, here's the answer. That's what I think that is. Verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out a horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So this red horse is symbolic of war. Okay? So let's keep these things in our minds. What's going to be coming on the earth to start all of this? Okay? We're going to have some leader come on the scene. It's going to be followed by war on the earth. Okay? Verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and behold, lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The black horse represents want and shortages, famine. Now, we're starting to see a foreshadow of this develop in the world right now. Here's something that's interesting to note. It's going to be a day's wages just to eat. right? That's what it means when it says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And then it says, see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now that oil is talking about like olive oil, things like that. Wine, obviously wine. It's a picture of this. The basic necessities necessities that you need are going to be super expensive and super difficult to get. The luxury items that used to be held in such high regard will be plentiful. But who cares, right? Nobody cares about the wine when you're starving. That's what it's a picture of. Think about the foreshadow that we saw over the last year and a half. Basic necessities you would hard to get, right? Oh, we can't even find toilet paper. But the shelves are just full of wine and liquor and those kind of items. Right? Verse 7. This is, what's, this is something that you're going to see that I'm going to show you something interesting about. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And what power was given unto him, unto them, who's the them? The them is the horseman, right? And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. Alright, so verse 8 kind of encapsulates everything. The pale horse is coming with death and hell. 
Okay. Death and hell. And there's going to, he's going to have, they're going to have power. Them, the four horsemen are going to have power over fourth of the earth to kill. This is why a lot of prophecy, uh, scholars think that in this very first part of the tribulation, that one fourth of the earth will be dead. Because it says it would give him power over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. I think that could be correct. It could mean a fourth of the population, or it could just mean it's a certain spot of the or fourth part of the earth. Like one, either way, it's one fourth. All right. Either way, no matter how you slice it, it's one fourth. All right. We understand sword. We understand hunger and with famine and all that. Here's what a lot of people miss: the beast of the earth. I want you to understand something. Since Genesis chapter 9, since Noah and his family got off the ark, God has put a fear of man inside the animal kingdom, right? As a general rule, animals are afraid of humanity. If this wasn't the case, millions of people would be dying every year by even in the United States, by bears, by mountain lions, bobcats, uh, even antlered animals like deer. But that's not the case. Why? Because generally, they're afraid. Occasionally, one will step out of its normal behavior and attack a person, right? It does happen, but it's unlikely. It doesn't happen often. Let's go look at that real quick. Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Verse 2, listen to this. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon the fowl of the air, upon all that moveth on the earth, upon the fishes of the sea, and into your hand are they delivered. Okay. The dread of man is upon the beast of the earth right now. But when this seal is opened, that goes away. And potentially millions of people are going to be killed by beast, Lions, tigers, bears. I mean, sometimes I do a lot of trail running. And occasionally, I've been known to run up on a buck. A big buck, white-tailed deer with, you know, much bigger than me, much heavier than me. And they'll either stand afar and watch me or they'll run away. Very easily, if it wanted to, it could just charge me and literally kill me with its antlers and with its hooves. No problem if it was, like, violent, but it's not. But the day's coming when it may attack, right? There's so many animals... (laughs) Right now, they have the dread of humanity. That comes to an end. So here's the thing. A fourth part of the earth is going to be killed by war with sword. And if that doesn't get them, it's going to be the hunger from the famine. And if that doesn't get them, it's going to be the beast of the earth. Okay? That's what's going to, That's what happens when these seals are opened. So no, that's not what's happening yet. But that's what's to come, and what you're seeing now is simply a foreshadow of that. 
I really want to read Ezekiel chapter 14 real quick, just because it kind of teaches us God's attitude, right? That's where we look at these things. And these judgments are very similar to what we're reading about in Revelation 6. And so let's, let's just go look at it. I'll read through it quickly. I'll try not to stop a whole lot uh, so we can just see this. Here's what it says. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, this is Ezekiel speaking, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I be inquired of all by them? Therefore speak unto them, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of iniquity before his face, and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols." that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. All right, so the picture here is that God is speaking through Ezekiel, and God is angry about their idols, right? Verse 6, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel... Or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire him concerning me, I the Lord will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord." So basically he's saying anybody who does not repent of this and turn away from the idol worship and other abominations is going to be judged. Verse 9, And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing, I the Lord have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him and destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions. But they may be my people, and I may be their God, says the Lord God. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then I will stretch out my hand upon it. I will break the staff of the bread thereof. I will send famine upon it, and I will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls, but the righteous, saith the Lord God. By their righteousness, saith the Lord God. This is an important thing to note. I just read to you from Luke, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, when you see all these things come to pass, yada, 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 you know that it's nigh, but it ends with pray always, which means be continuously praying this thing that you might be accounted worthy to escape all the things that I've been talking about and to stand before the Son of Man. 
Jesus says it'll be like the days of Noah. All these people will be building. And, but when Noah goes into the ark, when the righteous man is preserved and moved out of the way of the judgment, then it came. Likewise, it was the same way with Lot. When Lot was taken out of the city, then the fire and brimstone rained down. God is painting a picture that the righteous are preserved when he is specifically doing the judgment. When he's pouring out his wrath, the righteous are, are preserved and saved. So he's telling Ezekiel, tell them that if Noah or Daniel or Job, right, he mentions three upright righteous men of the Old Testament, if they were in it, they will deliver their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Verse 15, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. See, this is nothing new. God has done this before, where he's used beast as part of the judgment. In fact, he even does it to the Israelites. Remember when the serpents come in and are biting, and people are dying? Remember that? Continuing on. Verse 16. Though these three men were in it, who's the three men? Noah, Daniel, and Job. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. He's saying only those who are righteous are going to be saved. You're not going to be saved just because of your association with the righteous. Okay? That's going to be true for the end times as well. You're not going to be saved just because you're the son or daughter of a righteous person. How do we get our righteousness? We get our righteousness by being covered in the blood of Jesus, by putting our faith and trust in him. He's the one that hands out the white robes of righteousness. He's the covering of righteousness. The only people that are going to be delivered when God's wrath comes pouring down on this earth, are going to be those who have trusted in Christ. You will not be preserved or saved because of your association with that righteous person. Continuing on. Or if I bring the sword upon the land and I say, Sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only their only shall they be delivered themselves, or if I send pestilence into the land, by the way, pestilence means disease, and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. As I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver, deliver neither sons nor daughters. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, famine, beast, and pestilence to cut off man and beast. So I brought this up so you could see a similar judgment. This one, of course, specifically just Jerusalem, but we read in Revelation that it's not just Jerusalem. This time it's going to be one-fourth of the earth. But God has used this method before. Pestilence, famine, sword, and the beast of the field. Two verses left in chapter 14 here. Let's just read them. Yet behold, there, here's the good news. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant 
that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and you shall see their way and their doings, and you shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done it, saith the Lord God. So there's just kind of an example in Ezekiel, and there's just much to learn from uh, from that passage. Let's finish Genesis, or let's finish Revelation 6 here. So we ended with explaining the beast of the earth, what, what's going on there. We ended that. Verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the soul of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So now the story focuses on the saints that have been slain. And I don't know if this is just from the point when this time started or if this is throughout Christian history. All we know is that there's there's the altars, there's the souls of them. Remember, they haven't been reunited with their body yet. It's the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. And by the way, they didn't go into heaven and then forget about everything that happened, right? Some people think that you're when you die, you're just going to forget everything that happened. No, you're not. You're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven and into the presence of God with less knowledge and less understanding than you have now. You're going to have more. And they know it, and they say, how long before you avenge us? Verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, and to their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So God has predetermined that there will be a certain number of his people that will give their lives for the kingdom of God. And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, And lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell on the earth, even as a fig casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So we have some massive earthquake world-shaking event that takes place. And then there's all these signs in the heavens, okay? No one on the earth is going to not take notice of this. In fact, according to the scriptures, the people on earth know who's doing this. It's not a mystery. They're not sitting around going, "Who? how is this happening? They know how it's happening. And what you'll find, if you really study the book of Revelation is that throughout the rest of the book, the people of the earth know that God is the one judging. And they refuse to repent, even though they know. There's angels that fly through the air, preaching the gospel, warning people not to take the mark of the beast. Okay? There's going to be no questions about this. Here's what happens. Remember, this is just how it all starts. 
Verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens of the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? And that's how we're going to end today's broadcast. The question, by the way, is answered in chapter 7 of who's going to be able to stand. It's going to be those who are sealed by God. It's going to be those who are somehow, and we can talk about this another time, but somehow they have a great multitude of people from all languages and all nations appears in heaven. But that's for another day. I hope that you've been blessed this morning. Hopefully you've learned something. Uh, hopefully you've been shown something. And hopefully you have a better understanding of what it's going to look like when this all comes to be. And surely you can see what's going on in the world right now and see the glimpses, see the foreshadows, see how this could develop, right? That's what I think we're seeing. We're seeing the development of all of this. We're seeing the preparation of the mind. Everybody, it's all being built right now. And the whole world is being impacted right now. So I encourage you to go back, look at Luke again. Can I just finish by reading that again? Can we hear this too many times? Let me end with this. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh and at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh and at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Here's the warning. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with the surfeiting, drunkenness, and cares of this life, so that the day come upon you unawares. Jesus is saying, if you get caught up in worldly things, drunkenness, cares of this life, this is going to happen and you're not going to be ready. This is going to happen and you're not going to be paying attention. It's going to take you off guard. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, for as a snare... Shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth? And in the last verse, 36, watch ye therefore. There's the first command. Do this. Watch, meaning pay attention. Pray always. And here's what you pray. That you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And to stand before the Son of of man and in our next episode of whenever I get to the next phase here I don't know when that'll be we'll look at chapter 7 and we'll see those who are standing before the son of man and it's a beautiful picture thanks for listening this morning peace and grace be with all of you and until next time God bless 
You ask God to do what He has to do in your life. And you go into the presence of the Lord and say, Oh Lord, I want you to purge and sanctify me and cleanse me because I want to come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. And I want to hear you speak to my heart. God's raising up a holy people that know the voice of God. They're not going to have to go to some advances and get a word. We got people running all the United States trying to get a word. You know why they? Because God's not talking to them. I don't want God to talk to me through somebody else. I want to hear it right from his heart, right from his lips. <laughs> I gotta <clears throat> do another. I, I've got to get on with this. <clears throat> Number three. This remnant is going to be trained in true deliverance through the knowledge of the ways of God. I'm telling you, folks, listen to me, please, if you haven't heard anything else. <clears throat> What's coming to America is such, a, such chaos. <clears throat> Do you know why Louis Farrakhan is becoming so popular? He's on the front page, I think it's Time Magazine. In the black community, Louis Farrakhan is second in popularity only to Jesse Jackson. He's more popular now than Martin Luther King. That's what it says. And out of his innermost being is spewing hatred. Then on the other side, you've got on radio, you've got white radio talk hosts that are stirring up full of hate. Right here in New York, some of those white men hate blacks with a passion. I can't listen to any of that garbage. But folks, it doesn't look very serious right now, but very soon, not far off, when the economic chaos comes, you watch what happens. There'll be armies of blacks, armies of whites, Jews against black, black against Jew. Black against Korean, Korean against black. Folks, the race wars that I'm talking about, I've warned you and warned you and warned you. How many have heard my warnings? I have, until I, I just, anymore, it just uh, <clears throat> seems people don't want to listen. I want you to hear it. Hear it good. America's headed for chaos and a collapse. And the word deliverance is going to take on a whole new meaning. Right now, the word deliverance, to most of us, we talk about deliverance meetings. You know, somebody's eye opened or somebody throwing away their cane. And, and you know, we see television cameras and, and, and that's supposed to be a deliverance meeting. Folks, the word deliverance is going to change its meaning. People are just going to want safety. People are going to want to hear a word from God. When does this end? What's God doing? Is this God's judgment? People are going to wonder. They're going to look everywhere searching. And the word deliverance is going to come down. Listen to me, please. From, for people, God's ordinary people. Not pastors, but you in the pew. Who are so calm. So peaceful. Because God's with you. You're hearing from heaven. God told you going to protect you. God told you an angel is going to walk with you. God told you all this was coming, so you're not upset. And people are going to come to you for deliverance. The new deliverance ministry is going to be those who can say, come on, sit down, I'll tell you what's going to happen. 
Here's what the Bible says. Here's what's going to happen. And you, there are going to be people reaching out just to hear somebody, to see somebody with calm and peace that's not going crazy. Amen. The Bible said men's hearts will fail them for fear watching those things coming on the earth. People dropping with heart attacks all around you. People fanatical. People I, I've seen in a, in a picture in my mind, and I believe the Lord put it there. I saw hundreds of cars fleeing New York, and I saw car camps out in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, everywhere. Cars out in the fields, people sleeping in their cars to get away for a few weeks from the chaos. Folks, it's going to be beyond anything we could imagine. But there's going to be a holy remnant that are steadfast and sure, unmovable. Go to 1 Samuel. I'll show you 1 Samuel 7th chapter. Number 7, with this I close. Seventh chapter, verse 7. <coughs> well, that's, not, that's not the one I want. I think it's over in... Uh, <coughs> Let me just tell it to you, folks. Listen to me, please. The Philistines gathered against Israel to do battle. The Bible said, and Samuel cried. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Lord thundered on that day with great thunder upon the Philistines. They were smitten before Israel. <clears throat> Here's what happened. <clears throat> And this is what you have to hear before I close. Samuel said, I want you to all gather at Mizpah with me. He said, I'm going to tell you the way out. Because over 50,070 people had died because they peeked into the ark. And everywhere the ark was, people were dying like flies. The whole land was in chaos. Can you imagine 50,070 men dropping dead? People said, who can stand before such a holy God? This judgment, is, it has to be God. We know it's God. Nobody knew what to do. They said, who shall go up for us? How are we going to stop this plague? What do we do? And there was one man had the answer. It was Samuel. The remnant. He called the people together, and the Bible said he judged them. He judged their sin. He exposed sin in the camp. And the Bible said they fasted before the Lord, and they humbled themselves, and they prayed. And the Bible said, while Samuel stood before the altar, offering the sacrifice, God came and thundered against the Philistines, and there was a great slaughter, and God's people won the victory. Why? Because one man knew the answer. One man knew what to do. He'd heard from God. And folks, the day is coming. People, all, your neighbors and everybody you work with, everything else, they're going to want to hear from them. There's got to be answers. Folks, you, you shouldn't have to come to Times Square Church and hear what Brother Dave Wilkerson or Brother Don or Bob or anybody else has heard from the Lord. God is so instilled in you with prince, the principles of walking with God. You so hear from God. You're so into this book. You don't have to have a teacher teach it to you. Because God's working on you. 
He's going to do it, folks. He's doing it now. Why do you think God started this church in the heart of Babylon? Right here at Times Square. Why do you think you're sitting here in your seat right now? It's not a happenstance. It's not just something that happened. This is a part of what he's doing. We're just a small part of it. But we're a part of what God's doing in New York City and other cities. God came ahead of the riots. God came ahead of the collapse. God came and prepared. I know. Years ago, two years before we came, I walked these streets weeping. I had a, a little garage up on top of the garage, a little study. And I spent hours on my face. And God said, I want you to go to New York City, and I'm going to raise up a holy remnant. I'm going to attract them from all kinds of walks of life. I'm going to raise up a holy remnant, and I'm going to prepare them for the judgment that's coming. And that's why God raised up this church. I tell you, I don't, believe me, I don't have an ounce of pride in me about this church. If God wants this building and puts us in a barn, I'd go to a barn. We're not married to this building. And I didn't come here to preach sermons. I didn't come here just to marry and bury. <laughs> Folks, we do all of that. We do it joyfully. But there's a divine, eternal purpose. <clears throat> Next year, the Lord's going to allow me to go, no doubt, to preach the ministers in various parts of the world occasionally. I'm going to be here. I'm not abandoning this. God's told me that I'm to take this post until I die. There's no way you can throw me out of this church. <laughs> now, if I were immoral or something, that's another story. But I've, God's kept us true to his, his face and his name. But I want you to know something here, folks. God is doing something supernatural. You've got to understand that now. You're not just coming here to church. You're coming here now that God would put divine principles in your soul and fire you up and get you off the fence and get you seeking His face and, and deal with sin in your heart. 